So today we're starting in Acts chapter 13, uh, starting in verse 42 through verse 52. Paul and Barnabas in Antioch, Pacific, and it says this. As they were leaving, the people urged them to speak about these matters following the following Sabbath. After the synagogue had been dismissed, dismissed many of the Jews and devout converts of Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who were speaking with them and urging them to continue in the grace of God. And in the following Sabbath, almost the whole town assembled to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what Paul was saying and insulting him. Paul and Barnabas boldly replied, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. And since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we are turning to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light to the Gentiles to bring salvation to the end of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they rejoiced and honored the word of the Lord. And all who had been appointed to eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. But the Jews incited prominent, God-fearing women and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their district. But Paul and Barnabas shook the dust off their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the district, or, and the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. And the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray about that. Father, as we have your word before us. Father, may you, uh, may your spirit speak to us. May this word jump out to us in ways it hasn't before. And Father, we experience this the first time. Father, may our hearts be uh, reinforced with your love. That Father, you are in control. As we see this journey, Father, of Paul and this journey of Barnabas, Father, as they are evangelizing with missionary work being bold and sharing the goodness of your love. Father, may we resemble that in our lives. And may the principles that you show us today and the ways that we can apply it to our lives be clear and be evident, and may we be obedient to that. And Father, may I pray that you speak through so that we may all grow together in the understanding of your goodness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. About... Uh, about two months ago, I went to this um, this training called uh, uh, the BBNP Leadership Institute, and it was uh, hosted at the Kentucky Chamber of Commerce in Frankfurt, and that I was surrounded by a bunch of other principals that were there, and uh, they did this self-inventory. I think if, if, I have a, if I've done one self-inventory, I've done a million. It's better you can be better at what you do if you understand yourself better in anything we do right if you any position you have in life as a as a parent as a friend as a spouse as a whatever job you have you can be better at what you do in affecting other people if you first understand yourself uh, best and you know who you are you anticipate the way you're going to respond to something. And you um, mediate or mitigate, I guess, the uh, negatives. Maybe if you're going to respond harshly to something, you're able to catch yourself first. 
but you're also able to flip the script and kind of understand how other people see you so that you can be more objective and more um, relational with people, right? I guess it's a big picture of understanding yourself. Anyway, with all that being said, we did this, did this activity, and I found it very interesting that um, there's about 25 other principals from all across the state, and we did an inventory, and then we it was about how we received change, I guess, how we responded to uh, transformational. It was all about transformational leadership, right? Transforming things and, and uh, making changes in an environment in a way that's effective. Um, so first, we did this, and we found out how we uh, stacked up against everyone else. We went around this entire meeting room, and if you started here on this side, you were more of a revolutionary, right? You were all about change, and you, uh, uh, you embraced it, and it was something that kind of sparked your fire, right? But as you worked this way, you became more and more towards the conservative end, right? You were kind of um, uh, in the middle here. You always thought about things first. You saw change, but you did research before going all at it. And you made sure you had a team in place. If you're right in the middle, you like change, but you like you don't want to just shake things up for the sake of shaking things up, right? And then you're conservative, I guess is a fair word to say, uh, and if you're on this end. I can't remember the exact name of it, but it was more of a conservative approach. You like the tradition of things, you don't want to change, why fix it if it ain't broke kind of attitude, right? Even though, it, even though you might make it better, that type of thing. So anyway, we were in this entire room and had this, uh, this, this line of people finding out where we fell in that spectrum, and it was interesting. Because I, I saw everyone and they told us to get up and go and find our spot based on the number ranking that we had and it was this, this process. And I found there was about 10 people on the very conservative end here. And then there was about 12, 13 people right now spread out through the middle here. And there was one other person that was kind of here, kind of revolutionary. And then I found myself all the way by myself at the very end in the corner of the room as the revolutionary type thing. Because, and everyone else kind of looked at me. I was the oddball out. Because I, 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 don't know, I don't know how accurate it is. I feel like it's not that accurate. I guess it might be, though. And looking back at some things, the way I've approached some things, I guess. I see some accuracy there, but it was interesting to see along this spectrum where you kind of fell and where you kind of approach things and how you envision things. And I found myself alone on an island and wanted to be a revolutionary, let's just go for it and see what happens type attitude. And if I step back and I'm honest about it, I was like, yeah, I guess that's right. I'm all about it, right? I'm all about changing. Sometimes going for it and transforming things and all that, it can have some negative kickback as, as well. But it's interesting to understand and to see that. And if you think about yourself, where would you fall? At first, I wouldn't have said I would have been there. But after I, after I did that inventory and found out where I was, it makes sense. There's a uh, neat little uh, uh, study that was made uh, about attitudes about change. That there's five different attitudes out there about change. Um, the first one is the early innovators, and that would have been way up here. Only 
0.6% of people are considered early innovators. They just jump on it and they run with new ideas and make it up as they go, right? For me, improvising, I guess, okay, I see that. The next one is the early adopters. They would fall back in about this area, and that's about 13 to 14% of people. You might be someone that's influenced by the initiators, and you kind of like it there. You have a little bit of hesitancy, but you're ready to go with it. And then you have the slow majority that's kind of right in the middle. It's the ones that are, they consider the herd followers, I guess. If you change, all right, I'm gonna go with you, we'll see what happens. And that's about 34% of people. Just going with the flow, see what happens. Um, the next one is the reluctant majority. They'll go, they'll have some questions, might be some talk in the background, but they'll kind of go, but they're really, I guess, more conservative. And that's 34% of people. And then you have the antagonistic, is what they call it, and that's 15 to 16% that will refuse change altogether. And even if change happens and all good benefits come from it, there'll be some negativity there. Doesn't have a great correlation with the activity I did before, but it's interesting to see the way people fall in that. And I share all this with you because right now, Paul and Barnabas, that we see in our scripture today, are experiencing something just like this. They're experiencing some people going gung-ho, like, all right, I'm ready for this. We've been anticipating the Messiah. This is great. And then other ones are the true antagonistic ones that ain't going to go if you want them to, mainly because it's affecting their pocketbook. Mainly because it's affecting their popularity. That's why they didn't want to embrace that. And that's why we are in the scene. So what we've done is Paul and Barnabas have just been commissioned by the Holy Spirit from the church, the church that was doing really good, the church in Antioch, and they are told to go and share the good news with the world, to leave the church that they are ministers in, and to go on a missionary journey. And this is their first trip on their missionary journey. They make it to Antioch, another city called Antioch, but this is Antioch of Pisidia in another country, right? right? And uh, they make it here, and they're going to talk to people and to share the news of Jesus. The first place they go are the synagogues. These are the God-bearing people gathering together communities of uh, common uh, understandings and common beliefs. So they go to these synagogues and start talking about the gospel, sharing the truth of the Messiah. In doing this, there is positive, there are negatives, there are good things that happen, and then there are some kickbacks. And usually with any time you're sharing the gospel, especially at this time, it can be essentially a coin flip on whether or not you are going to be persecuted for it. On whether or not you will be put in prison for talking about this Jesus guy. It's essentially a coin flip, but Paul and Barnabas are so on fire, it doesn't even cross their mind. Right? At the very end, Paul just gives this sermon, right, or this speech. And what we looked at sort of last week coming to this week was Paul's first uh, speech. Paul's first speech on his missionary journey. And essentially, it's preaching. He goes to the synagogue. They're having church. They're having a service. And they present the law, the scripture.
scripture, the scripture's read, and they go through the motions of the service. And at the end of the service, they had a custom that they would invite anyone that's visiting to get up and, and share a, uh, an encouraging word. They say, hey, you look new. Why don't you get on up there and share an encouraging word with us today? You got anything good to share? Anything good to say? And, uh, well, luckily, they did that. Paul and Barnabas gets up and talks to the church. And he shares, they share, Paul shares the good news of Jesus. He talks first about the, uh, everything they studied and know. These Jews knew the Old Testament, the, uh, the Torah. They knew what had happened. They knew uh, the good name, the big names in it. They, he, he talks about King Saul, talks about King David, talks about Solomon, all the heroes of scripture, both positive and negative. And he tell, and ultimately he's talking about God's uh, sovereignty and how he's placed everything to happen just right. And ultimately, after he goes from the Old Testament stories, that he transitions into this New Testament speaking. He transitions into the story of Jesus. And he shows that God's been in control the entire time. That God had all of our leaders of the past Prophecy about Jesus is coming, and Jesus is now here. So he eased into it, and now he's telling them about this Jesus. Telling him about the fulfillment of all the prophecies that the Messiah has come, and that he is alive. And he says this in verse 30, and I'm going to read just a little bit ago. He says this, therefore, after he shares this, let it be known to you, brothers and sisters, that through this man, that through Jesus, forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed to you. You can be saved. Your sins can be forgiven through Jesus. And everyone who believes is justified through him from everything that you could not be justified from through the law of Moses. That's kind of stepping on their toes, stomping their toes, that everything that the law of Moses could not justify you from. Only Jesus can justify you. You can be made right with God through the blood of Jesus if you believe. That's what Paul's preaching. He's preaching you've got to believe. You can't just worry about checking boxes and following these little steps and you're not going to just make it to heaven if you're a good person because you have the check boxes checked in. It's not about good works. It's not about how good we are as a person, what the world thinks of us, and how much, how high we rank on the social leaderboard of goodness. That's irrelevant. That's what our world creates for us. But that is a, a, a totally against everything that the gospel shares. That it's only about one thing, and it's a heart change, is your relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul's bringing. Upon him saying this. And he's, he, that's what we should receive from that. That's the word to us that we receive years and years down the road by reading the word in front of us. And then he says this. After he shares that, he says, listen, you wouldn't even believe it, though, if somebody's here sharing it with you, even if they were, it was right under your nose, you're still not believing it. Because as we know, they were anticipating this big, uh, huge uh, arrival of the Messiah 
to come and overthrow the Roman government and to be this, this great political force and to restore, restore the, their country, right? Restore the Jewish country, Israel. They were going to restore all that. That's what they were wanting, but that's not what it was supposed to happen. Jesus came humbly, right? And he came to, to fulfill the gospel, to fulfill the prophecy, to be the truth, and to ultimately cleanse our hearts. And then he says this. This is the result. As when Paul was preaching this, he says this. As they were leaving, the people, after they gave this message, the people urged them to uh, speak about these matters the next Sunday, right? Or the next Sabbath. Sunday. Listen, you've got to come back next service. This was great. I want to know more about this. You've got to come back. So they, they talk, Paul and Barnabas, don't necessarily have to talk them into it, but they wanted to come on back the following Sabbath. And after the synagogue had been dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts, verse 43, to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who were speaking with them and urging them to continue in the grace of God. And that line, urging them to continue in the grace of God, is, uh, should tell us, that they received salvation through Christ because they were to continue in the grace of God. Ultimately, they received that grace. Upon reception of grace and God forgiveness of our sins, it's not, okay, I'm done, I'm good, I go live my own life. But to continue to live under the goodness of the grace of Jesus, it's a lifestyle commitment. It's a change in who we are long term, a continuation of embracing that good grace. Not for the sake of keeping grace in our back pocket and saying I can do whatever I want to do and I'll pull that grace card out whenever I sin, whenever I feel bad, Lord, I'm going to go ahead and do this. I'm going to go ahead and commit this sin that I know that I struggle with. I'm going to go ahead and do these things, but God, I know you'll forgive me. That's absolutely contrary to what the gospel is. In fact, in Romans, we see that uh, the scripture tells us, Paul tells us in his letter in Romans, it says, uh, now then, shall we continue to sin so that grace may abound, is what the scripture says. Shall we continue to just sinning so that we can see grace do its thing over and over again? And it says, absolutely not. For if that's how we approach it, if we're, if we're, if we're believing in Jesus just to keep him in our back pocket, to keep him as an accessory in our life, then that's... Uh, that's totally against what the gospel is. And in fact, we need to really check ourselves in the mirror and to see if that's what we're doing. Because that's dangerous. That's a dangerous faith that oftentimes we can convince ourselves that we're good. But deep down inside, it has to be a heart change. We have to remember that. We have to remember that. And that's what Paul is essentially saying. They were speaking with him and urging him. You've got to continue in this. It's not a one-time thing. I'm going to get saved and walk on and do my thing. It's a lifestyle change. In verse 44, he continues and says this. Then the following Sabbath, after they raise this ruckus, they're stirring this pot of excitement. Everything's going on. Almost the entire town, the place is packed. If you can, if you can picture this, the entire town came uh, to hear the word of the Lord, to hear this Paul and this Barnabas talk. But... When the Jews saw the crowds, and think about this, and we see 
who they are, their personality, and where their heart really is. The whole town came to this service, but when the Jews saw this happening, they got jealous. They were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what Paul was saying, and they started insulting him. The NIV and other translations say they started blaspheming against him and contradicting the, everything that he was saying, totally going against everything he was saying. So this whole city comes. But the people that are benefiting from this religious lifestyle are offended. How dare these men come and take all the attention, all the popularity from me is what they're saying. How dare you? So they're offended. They're envious of what's going on. Why in the world they want to do it? Because they wanted, these Jews wanted this division between the Jews and the Gentiles. Remember uh, just a few chapters ago when we, when the uh, Gentiles were included in the salvation through this great vision that Peter had of the, the, the cloth falling with all the animals and clean and unclean. Remember that whole scene? Gentiles, everyone, Jews and the non-Jews, us, are included in the salvation plan, this rescue plan that Jesus had. But the Jews are offended. They didn't want this to happen because they are God's ancient people. They are God's chosen folk. No one else deserves Jesus. No one else deserves the Messiah. That's hypocrisy. That's blasphemous. They, Paul and Barnabas are here to feed you nonsense and to stray you away. That's what the Jews are saying because ultimately it's affecting their bottom line. It's going to affect how popular they are and ultimately how much money they can fill their wallets with and how uh, famous that they can be. Because just Jesus changes everything. No longer is it about this religious system where we strive to do good works and look good and ultimately please the leaders of the church. It's not, that's not what it is. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a relationship that we choose that ultimately flows from the inside out and not from what we can get from the outside either. That's why they wanted, they wanted that division to stay there. To stay there. They will see this through years and years and years. And they, um, and that's the truth. And I think we can see this is not just two different uh, religions that are there. Instead, or two different groups of people that are there. We can see this in our lives. Some people still reject Jesus today because Jesus brings change. And this is where this all, the whole change factor plays in. When Jesus comes into our lives, when Jesus slides into the, your story, there has to be automatically a change that happens in you. Jesus forces that change in your life. Because you are, you are now making decisions based on his will and not our own. You're now living a lifestyle that glorifies him instead of See, Jesus is a change agent. He is the core factor of change. And if you accept Christ as your Savior, you also surrender to him as your Lord. And if you have a Lord, you automatically are a servant. And if you are a servant, everything you do pleases the Lord. So Jesus changes. We take a step back and we let Christ take the lead, take the driver's seat. Change happens. Jews didn't want it. People don't want it. 
That's why Jesus can be so hard to preach to people sometimes. It's so hard to share Jesus with people because that is, we put a wall up and we don't want to change because it's good right now. I'm content with who I am right now and I'm not willing to change things because I want what I want and not what you want. Verse 46, Paul and Barnabas boldly replied, it was necessary, here's what he's replying, as that, as that uh, conflict's happening, as the Jews are throwing these insults and blasphemous and contradiction that's coming on, here's what Paul and Barnabas say. It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, the Jews. Since you rejected and you judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, they're rejecting Jesus. So now, since you Jews aren't accepting, we're going to turn to the Gentiles. We're going to turn to the non-Jews. So they're criticizing them. It's like, you ain't going to take it. We're going we're gonna to offer the, the gospel to willing ears that are going to hear and listen to what's being said. Because you have this amazing privilege, but you reject it. And then they reference Isaiah. That's what they say. They say, for this is what the Lord has commanded us to say this. I have made you a light for the Gentiles to bring salvation to the end of the earth. Amazing. They knew that word. I've made you a light to the Gentiles where they bring salvation to the end of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, the Gentiles heard this, they rejoiced and they honored the word of the Lord and all who have been appointed for or to eternal life believed. So as the Gentiles heard this, the non-believers, they jumped for joy. They're ecstatic that now they're involved. They've always been excluded, right? If you, wanted, if you were a Gentile, you wanted to go worship you wanted to go to service. You had to stand on the outer courts and listen in. You weren't involved in all that. But now they're right at the heart of it. Right? You couldn't even, I mean, it's like now they're in the Holy of Holies. You know, the Holy of Holies, no testament that there was this, this, this big cloth and sheet down that the veil was there and only, that's where the presence of God was. And you, even the greatest of the Jews couldn't even approach that just on certain times and certain places because God is just unreachable. Right here, it's for us all now. And they're experiencing that. So Paul shows just how, how wise he can be and how we should be. He's not spending all of his time beating a dead horse or talking to the wall, trying to persuade these hardened hearts. These Jews, they've made their mind up. They're not going to receive it. They're not, not going to be respect, receptive of it. The Gentiles going to be the non-believers and non-Jews. So he shares that. He starts to evangelize and redirect this focus to them because Jesus is for everyone. Jesus is for us all. So he spends his missionary times ministering to the hearts of those that would receive it. Verse 49, the word of the Lord spread to the whole region. <laughs> so, so ultimately, it's not the word of the Lord starts spreading like wildfire through the entire region. The whole town comes in, and when the whole town comes in, they don't go back and just forget about it. The whole town comes in, hears the gospel, and spreads it from there. Wow, this is life changing. This is eternity changing. You've got to hear the gospel that I've heard. They go and share it with everyone they love, with everyone that's going to listen. Paul and Barnabas are starting the fire, and they start to spread it. It's not because Paul and Barnabas are just going and talking to everybody. When we collect, when we gather together, the point of it is to empower one another so that we can go out and share 
with the world. It should be an explosion of the gospel whenever we come and we join in together. But the Jews incited the prominent God-fearing women and the leading men of the city. So the Jews are still furious. They see what's happening. They see what Paul and Barnabas are doing. They're furious, so they go and talk to the God-fearing people. They go make up their own team to combat this, right? The leaders, of the, the men in the city, and they start up persecution against Paul and Barnabas. So they begin to persecute, and they kick them out of the city. Now, there you come in here and do that. They've already done their job. They've shared Jesus. They got kicked out, but... Paul and Barnabas, I love the way this, uh, this scripture reads, it says, Paul and Barnabas shook the dust off their feet. Paul and Barnabas shook the dust off their feet and went uh, against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. See, we can get defeated. Have you ever tried to share the gospel with anyone? you guys ever tried to share your uh, belief and your life, your testimony, the way God has changed you, or even live the lifestyle that you want to live to be more obedient to Christ and then get shunned, pushed back, kicked back from it, from your friends, from your family? That hurts. And you can carry that with you. You can be defeated. You can be held back and... Uh, uh, Question your own salvation because of it. But Paul and Barnabas show us exactly what we should do. Kick the dust of our, off of our feet and move on. Live 